and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am joined by a fabulous leader. Her name is Dr. Nino Amua. And she is a founder and managing director of Vantis Consulting. She's a strategy and financial expert, uh, runs an advisory firm in France. She's a former corporate banker with Citibank and sits on the board of several organizations. I almost don't know where to start when I'm talking about Anino's profile because she has done and championed so many entrepreneurial and diverse initiatives and that's everything from gender diversity and leadership entrepreneurialism she's going to be talking a lot about the forum for generation and equality um, as well as her passion when it comes to technology uh, and gender within the broader spectrum of diversity. She's an award-winning international speaker. She has spoken at prestigious institutions, including the likes of Forbes, Facebook, and the Women Global Leaders Institute at Cambridge. She's a coach and a mentor as well, and has an MBA from Cranfield. Oh, even more on that coming up. So um, welcome, Anino, to the show. Thank you, Leila. It really is an honor to be on your show. You know I'm a great fan of yours anyway. <laughs> and vice versa. Lots of mutual love here. I hope I managed to squeeze everything in, and I'm already sure that I didn't. So I think um, in your own words, if you would be so kind, for those who are tuning into the show today who don't know you as well as I, I wonder whether you can give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour as to how you ended up uh, running your firm, championing these initiatives, and ultimately the Generation Equality Forum. I know this is the, the, the real kind of pivotal point that you've been uh, driving towards, especially with the UN SDGs around diversity. Talk to me a little bit about um, how you came to be where you are and some of the present work. Well, thank you very much, Leela. To begin with, I would never have imagined I'll be doing the work I'm doing now. Uh, when I started out very early, actually at 16, I wanted to be involved in banking because um, I was good in maths and I was just fascinated about the role of finance and being this sort of quiet resource that you can't see intangible, but drives businesses. And all I did through my education was really targeted to that. And, you know, I, I studied at, at the London School of Economics, did, did um, monetary economics to prepare me for a role in banking. I wanted to be an investment banker. And at the end of, of my third year, I got a job back home in Nigeria to work in the corporate bank with Citibank that had really, um, set up, I think, just a couple of years before. So that was my trajectory. That's what I had planned and wanted to do for ages. And, you know, I went off to do an MBA, like all good bankers do after a few years, to progress your career. And it was then, I, but I had an entrepreneurial interest because I did find out that um, there were many sort of gaps. So I, as a corporate banker, I was financing huge loans for multinationals. So there was age 23 writing loan requests, you know, um, for millions of dollars. And these firms in response were actually um, creating revenues for the bank, millions of dollars. But at the same time, here I was in Africa and seeing entrepreneurial um, gaps in the market. So I had 
have this interest in, in entrepreneurship. And then I went off to do my MBA at Cranfield, which we mentioned earlier. So all the strategy and all the finance and corporate finance, we did all that. But I also did a lot <clears throat> in terms of um, entrepreneurship and small businesses. And I did a project on that. So I interviewed entrepreneurs. Um, I took um, courses and also um, I did a project actually, which um, with two with two of my um, course mates actually, an entrepreneur project for Barclays Bank, I think it was, and we actually won the project. All of this was on entrepreneurship, right? I came back and started working in banking. But you know, fast forward a few years when I had the, the um, opportunity to live with my family in several African countries. And I found out the same thing over and over again, which was um, this gap in terms of financing for smaller businesses. And in particular, in particular for women run businesses. And here I was former banker to manage the finances in such a way that they could raise funding from banks and help them with loan requests. But I thought this one-on-one -on -one approach is just not good enough, right? On the one hand, I felt that if I saw this thing happening in so many countries, then obviously it was hampering the progress of Africa. And that's what led me to do my PhD, which was about financing businesses in Africa and how to get more financing to them. So really it was, that was the, the moment and after which I set up my um, consulting company in France. And through my work with entrepreneurship and all of that, what I found in particular that women-run businesses did have that gap. And so a lot of my work was targeted to helping women to develop the skills and the managerial skills and marketing and all of that, that they needed to run the businesses successfully and also prepare them for funding. And um, that then led me also to look at women as leaders and women's in lead women in leadership, not just entrepreneurs, but even in the corporate world. And, you know, I, I grew up from a background, school education. My mother was a lawyer. My sisters are lawyers. And we never really saw any barriers. One of my, 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 my um, school, the school I went to, public school I went to, Nigeria, has, has um, trained a lot of the prominent women in Nigeria. So I never saw that as a bar barrier. But then with the economics background, with the research background, when I started to look at the numbers, it was actually shocking, right? Taking it away from you and what you're doing, what you're able to do, and you look at the numbers, and I knew that something is going on here and we need to do something more. And that really led me to understand more, learn more, um, work more with women in leadership and how we can accelerate, accelerate leadership. And of course, it's much more than that. It's not just to provide women with the opportunities which they deserve, but also the effects it has on society, it has on business performance, and it has really um, in terms of um, even peace processes, when there are more women involved in, in the peace process, the results are more durable. So there's every reason to want to have um, a more diverse leadership. And I think that that is really what it, it's about. I know you mentioned the Generation Equality Forum, which is of our time really very important. 26 years ago, some of our listeners might, might remember, I said, remember when we had the Beijing Forum on uh, women, and that was really the a pivotal moment. But what we're moving now to is a time where we're actually putting commitments and actions behind the discussions. And what happened in Paris a few, uh, last week actually, this exactly this time last week, where commitments were made to the tune of $40 billion by governments, private sectors, and I was, really honored to have hosted a women's leadership event alongside that with um, the UN and other women, uh, women, women leaders. And uh, we're, we have 
committed to work together. We all have our individual commitments, but also working together to accelerate gender diversity and leadership and really take these commitments forward to make real meaningful change in terms of gender equality. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, where do I start? I mean, first and foremost, rewinding to some of the early things that you said, I, I love the fact, and I was picturing it as you were talking about your younger self, that the young Anino is kind of, um, you know, early teens, like, yes, finances, banking, I just... I absolutely love it. You are such a force to be reckoned with. And I can just um, see you being so forthright in exactly what you wanted and the goals that you were going to achieve in your early, early days. I mean, I find it fascinating as well, this kind of this interesting juxtaposition between leadership, entrepreneurialism, and in particular gender as a female who runs a runs a business and is dyslexic and, um, you know, does, I think, have a slight fear of finance. And, you know, without generalizing too much, I do think there is that, you know, whether it is stereotype or what we have heard um, over the many years of, of kind of finances being difficult, there is definitely a fear factor to that so hearing and seeing individuals like yourself who are really paving the way for this to be embraced and seeing the positive benefits in how we can actually close that gap is brilliant and fast forwarding to this 40 million dollar commitment it is just it is awe-inspiring to finally see that organizations and governments are putting their money where their mouth is, because this is what it is about, right? It is, um, to your point, how do we now convert words into action? Pretty much everyone that I speak to now, thankfully, knows the importance of diversity and why. But there is a significant difference between actually investing and putting money behind these businesses and those organizations and SMEs in particular, who rightly so, as you said, have really just not had that support. I mean, I remember years ago going out to banks, applying for every single loan that I possibly could and was turned away for pretty much everything. And so the business has been purely a product of um, hard work and resilience and ultimately bootstrapping because the access to that information and ability to secure the funds required has been really quite difficult to come by. And you kind of, you almost feel that you're in a slight vacuum, especially if you don't have forums and, and places and people to look to like yourself, and you know, because you just presume incorrectly so that, oh, it must be me. And so it's just me or my business and you kind of don't want to say the words, oh, don't know whether it is just that I'm not good enough. And you just kind of keep keep on keeping on, really. So, um, you know, I just uh, I really just take my hat off to all that you do and you do it with such pizzazz as well, which is uh, <laughs> it's like the icing on the cake. That's very kind of you, Leila. <laughs> and you know, um, when you one thing that I think is a real change in today's world is with the female economy growing, and it's probably the fastest growing economy. If you look at it as you know um, a geography like you know um, China or whatever, it is growing massively. And what's important is what women are doing with that increased uh, economic power that they have. 
And I'll just take just one example at the um, Generation Equality Forum. And this was Melinda Gates. And she has pledged $2.1 billion to advancing equality. Now, this is massive, okay? And this is a woman and one huge amount. And I think that this is what is very important in this time now is to say that, you know, the change that has to happen and that is happening is change that is good for everybody and everybody must be involved. And our male peers are involved because by definition in leadership, the 13 times more men at the top positions than women. So absolutely uh, men are involved, but we mustn't underestimate the ability of women as well because we have been there, we know it, we, we, we have experienced it. And when women come together, amazing things will happen. So that particular um, contribution, and if we're talking about you know, 40 billion, and this is 2 billion, that is already, um, if, I, if my maths is, is, is proper, that's what, a 5%, right, by one person, and it's a woman, okay? And we're talking about economies and governments and huge global companies. So women do have the ability to actually contribute to making this uh, change. Absolutely. I, I, I adore the fact that we are seeing a lot more action now when it comes to purpose-led pounds and the fact that there is huge spending power that uh, that is really starting to come to the fore I, I read with wide eyes i have to say the article around the um about the money and being invested by melinda gates absolutely brilliant and now i'm reverting a little back to where we started the conversation um but i've forgotten to ask before um and you know you mentioned back in nigeria that actually there was never that barrier and one thing that's always fascinated me probably because of my background is those cultural kind of idiosyncratic details. Now, I was born in Hong Kong, but I was adopted by white British parents, as I think I may have mentioned to you before. And so I haven't experienced the Asian culture when it comes to entrepreneurship, more so that in the UK, but I watch with interest how different cultures perceive, you know, gender being one as well as ethnicity and many other aspects of diversity but it makes me think sometimes is this a mindset piece um obviously there are the systemic issues as well when it comes to race when it comes to gender the system being set up differently but it just strikes me that I almost can't imagine you as not being kind of a beacon of confidence and you mentioned your earlier self um just never seeing this as a barrier up until the point that you kind of you're, you're over in Europe UK France etc and realize actually there's a huge disparity. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on, on cultural differences when it comes to gender and, and what you have seen over the pond and, you know, I guess over the last couple of years, really, because I know there are marked differences, aren't there, between territories? You see, um, I, I think this is where data is so critically important, because one thing that we, we don't realize, right, is how we are shaped by our, our environment. And so we see the world through that lens that we have experienced. And so in my particular instance, I was shaped in a bubble, the bubble of my particular um, school and my parents, where it was entirely normal to do such things. My mother studied uh, law at um, Middle Temple in the UK. Her father, as she's growing up in those days, if you're bright and clever, you'd become a teacher or you became um, a teacher and nurse, right? Those were the career options. 
But my grandfather said, my daughter will become a lawyer. And so he paid for her to come from Nigeria to the, uh, to the UK, Middle Temple, to study law. And she was the first lawyer, not in Nigeria, but the first lawyer in the region, in the Midwestern region of Nigeria, where she came from. So um, there was that feminist, so I, I would say my grandfather, in a funny kind of way, was a feminist, right? So you're shaped within a certain environment, either by your family or by your, your school, but the data tells you the true story. And this is what is very important. For example, the McKinsey Report and also the World Economic Forum, when you look at the data across countries. And you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but in my country, Nigeria, when you, when you look at um, how women are doing in terms of um, gender equality in the workplace and in government and leadership, we come actually very, very low in the rankings, right? Yet we have many excellent, absolutely excellent women and we compare ourselves to Rwanda, which is a much tinier uh, country economically compared to Nigeria. Nigeria is um, the biggest economy in Africa, and they are they rank amongst the top in countries. Okay, even within the same um, uh, the same geography, and I think that is very important to look at that because if we look at our own experiences, we might miss something things out. But having said so, at the same time though. We also take inspiration from um, examples of case studies. So again, in Nigeria, in the banking sector, the banking sector in Nigeria um, today has at least three or four um, female chairs of the biggest banks in Nigeria out of 25 or so banks, right? Now that, that, is, that is the largest in the world. There are hardly any female chairs of top banks, right? In America or in Europe for that matter, okay? So there are case studies, but it's not good enough just to say this has happened and look at it as, you know, as just um, by chance and look at what actually happened. And again, there was somebody who was responsible, who was a central bank governor at the time, who um, asked banks. He did not impose, these were not quotas, but he encouraged and monitored as supervisor the um, numbers of women on, on boards. And over time, this evolved to having women as chairs because the um, leaders of banks actually found that it was a good thing to have diverse leadership, right? And I think there was a, a recent research which came out the last uh, couple of months that actually showed that when you have uh, more women in leadership, that in terms of risk in, in the financial sector, I mean, many of us will shrug and say, yes, we know that, industry knows that, it's helpful when change happens, right? So, um, so we do look at case studies and see where, where the success and see where that success came from, and then we apply it. But we must make sure that we have the data, the, the likes of which McKinsey and World Economic Forum, BCG, and many others have, have had, had to make sure that we see what's happening, track it, and um, you know, make sure that things are actually moving in the right direction. Mm. Absolutely concur. And uh, as you were saying uh, there, many people shrug. I've seen that myself as well. It's kind of like, yes, yes, we know. Um, but it is so true. What what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed. And so it's keeping that momentum on. Those of us who are in the world of diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, all of those great things, you know, it can be sometimes quite exhausting. It can be incredibly empowering and uplifting as well when you see change happen. But there is much 
repetition because it is keeping the momentum on all the time, making sure that things are tracked, um, you know, within certain time constraints to see that things are actually moving. It is an evolutionary process, ultimately. But I mean, those are fascinating statistics. I mean, three to four female chairs in Nigeria, and that is a leading country when it comes to banking specifically uh, for gender equality. It is just, I mean, it is phenomenal. Yes, we've come a long way in many respects, and it's great that we have role models and real models like yourself um, who are paving that way. But still, there is such a long way to go. Hence, the need to continually talk about this. Now, I know, Anino, that you are um, a real advocate and fan as well of technology um, and digital uh, transformation. And with the work that you do, you know, you really are keeping the conversation going, but not just the conversation, you're turning those words into actionable, measurable initiatives. And obviously, you sit and oversight on boards. Um, to advocate for um, holistic diversity and inclusion. Um, talk to me a little bit more about the role of technology and how that plays out when it comes to driving um, engagement initiatives for gender um, and perhaps how um, those who are listening can really get on board with some of the um, uh, the, the, the UN Sustainable Development Goal programs and start to align the work that they're doing uh, to positive action. This really is key and fundamental to uh, development and, and growth, actually, the role of technology. Um, I'd say about 10 years or probably probably more when my children were quite young, I remember um, the role of technology, uh, which was like an industry, and saying to them, you know, won't you go into tech because this is, this is the way. And, you know, at the time, you know, they had no interest, right, um, at the time, because tech was a sector. It is no longer a sector, it is fundamental, right? It cuts across absolutely everything that we do. And I'm glad to say that they're both very much involved in tech. So things have changed, right? And, but, but at the same time, that diversity gap in technology is actually very worrying because with technology driving growth and development, with technology creating opportunities, right? it is really critically important that we have women as well very much involved in the industry. What we see in, in leadership, sad to say, but when you look at um, tech leadership, that actually figures are even worse than you look at um, technology lead um, leadership in general in terms of um, women's share of it, right? At the same time, we can see how technology affects our, life, our, our lives in every way. Technology is about creating solutions, and this is something that you know, I hear all the time from women who are in tech. And I think that we need to be able to reframe how we look at technology. Technology over the years, sadly, has had this image of being um, something for geeks and something for, 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 for men who sit in rooms and you know, don't have any social skills, right? Rather than a fascinating, um, interesting way. And I think women even have a particular role. Now, I'll give an example. Um, this was, was actually in Nigeria, actually, and I do have a video of it. So I'd been to an edu educational conference and there was this little um, display of uh, robots, right? And it's funny at the time, I didn't think about it, but all I saw were, you know, school children uh, who were really fascinated with this. And I thought, you know, robotics in Africa, this is really very key and important way of, um, of sharing with them. It was later on when I looked at the video that I realized something that I hadn't really noticed at the time. They were all girls and they were completely fascinated. 
So technology needs to be framed in such a way and part of our education that women and girls are uh, involved. It has to start from a young age because it's fundamental and we need to close that, that diversity gap. And I think that if you look at the UN's um, Sustainable Development Goals, which was set up, I think, um, if I'm not wrong, 15 years ago, we will see that technology is actually core. And even um, when we look at Generation Equality Forum, there are goals to do with technology because it is a critical um, aspect for the development and integration of women properly into jobs, in opportunities, tech, um, entrepreneurship, et cetera. So I think it's something that we shouldn't look at as a separate sector, a separate item. It's something that should be infused as a cross-cutting theme in whatever it is that we do do. And we need more role models of women in technology. And we try to highlight them who can who come out, speak out, and can speak to women. We know that you people respond to people who look and sound like them. And so we need the few women who are there. We need to hear the voices to be able to encourage more women to come also into industry. And of course, systemic change, of course, is needed as well. It's really interesting how you articulate the, the changes in technology. It just makes so much sense. This does sit across absolutely everything. It's not a subset any longer at all it is an absolute necessity to do pretty much the vast majority of the work that we do even now and we're speaking um, across in two different countries with the utilization of of technology um, but I think um, to your point on the area that is almost overlooked is the fact that actually there is so much opportunity now when it comes to technology and innovation and the impact that can have on all different aspects of diversity and um, my hope coming out of hopefully out of the pandemic is that actually for for women who may have caring responsibilities additional role responsibilities that there is more flexibility and um, my hope is and I was talking to a corporate organization about this just this morning um, is that as they're realigning going back in inverted commas to the workforce would they consider looking at people being far more remote as opposed to saying hey we need to have people based in a central office location in London talent exists everywhere in all different shapes and forms and this utilization of technology being an absolute must-have now means that we are able to tap into more talent and hopefully more gender diverse talent uh, than ever before because I guess on the flip side you know, we have seen women um, and ethnic minorities be uh, adversely hit by the pandemic so I just hope that we can see a balancing out of this as we start to return in inverted commas uh, to uh, the workforce. But um, I'm conscious of, of time, and you know, I know how how busy uh, you are. I must just ask a couple of other questions. One actually around uh, just education, because I didn't want to um, to miss that one out. I know that you are. I mean, you always seem to be studying, and you you know, you're a, you're a student of of life, always learning more and more. But I, I believe you are doing uh, more research at the moment at the University of Cambridge. 
um, as part of a, another entrepreneurship program. Um, I wonder whether there was anything that you wanted to mention at all around some of the unification projects you're doing with your various networks and any research um, that our leaders can consider uh, when it comes to aligning their gender goals. Yes, uh, thank you for that, uh, Elila. Yes, I am doing a research in, into a women and leadership and it's part of um, a master's in entrepreneurship at the University of Cambridge Judge Business School. And really it, it is um, a project that will unify um, a lot of what I'm doing. First of all, ent entrepreneurship. So there's an ent entrepreneurship um, goal at the end of this. And this relates to um, our communities of women in business leadership. And um, one thing that you know, as a woman, you do experience it, but you don't use just your experience. You need to understand, you know, what women are facing really. And I think um, it's very easy to, you know, to hop on to the sort of the latest fad, right? Without really understanding it. And with my academic background, I, I really like to know and really like to understand so that we can provide the solutions, right? The real solutions to women, what do they need? What are the challenges that they face in leadership? And that's the reason uh, behind that. Um, with my work at this stage, and one thing that I've said, you know, with, um, with uh, studying now, is that my work is not just about uh, myself because, you know, you get your first degree for the first job. It's really about um, adding, sharing that knowledge with others. And that's something which I've done right from my very first paper. In fact, um, there's a conference which I'll be speaking at in the fall, and it will be based on one of my very first papers um, at Cambridge um, in the entrepreneurship. So, um, so there is a thought leadership, which is you create the knowledge shared with people, right? And for them to use it in whatever way, there's a knowledge you use in terms of your work, right? In terms of um, improving um, outcomes and impact for people, right? Uh, in fact, interestingly, and there's a little a slight, not quite a digression, but slightly um, yesterday, I saw an article in the Financial Times, which talked about, about um, diversity in, in finance um, for, for women and how business schools can help. And, you know, I was stunned. And the reason I was stunned, I was really excited was because I had given a year ago, actually, um, a paper at the Association of MBAs conference, which was, um, they asked me to speak and to choose what, whatever topic, and I chose a topic which is about how business schools and MBAs can be drivers of diversity in business. And, you know, a lot of the things I talked about, about networks, about changing the business culture. You talked about going back. There's no going back. We're going forward now. Okay. So, you know, um, looking at how can we make change happen? So it's not about um, just trying to resume as many leaders think. It's about how are we going to change and embrace the new world, the reality and the talent that we have. There's a war for talent. There is indeed. It's a fascinating subject. My husband has an MBA and I have often dreamt of doing an MBA or an EMBA. And, and I think, well, running the business, how will I find time? It's that kind of, you know, you're wearing these multiple hats. We are actually, and I have to have a conversation with you offline about this, but we're just opening our first funding round uh, for the business, which is really super exciting. So I'll be having to pick your brains um, about lots of your skills and knowledge. Before we go into the lightning round for today, for all of those entrepreneurs who are listening, all those business leaders who are listening, in fact, anyone who is listening, actually, I know there are many of you, what tips can we glean? If you're a, a woman, you're, you're in business, you're thinking about taking that brave, bold step into starting your own business. Um, what are some of the 
key tips that can be considered um, and obviously I'm asking this question from a selfish point of view but when it comes to fundraising any real uh, kind of gems of wisdom that we can uh, keep a mind's eye on because there is still far less information out there for um, diverse minority-owned female-run organizations when it comes to things like fundraising. Yes, um, absolutely. But you know, one thing I'd say first of all, before you get to fundraising, preparation is important and uh, prepare is fine. It's important. I mean, obviously an entrepreneur means taking risks. So you can't, you really can't tell what is going to happen. But the more the more you prepare, um, the more you're likely to be able to um, survive. And by preparation, what I mean is, you know, what are those aspects, right, of running a business that are important? And, you know, we can't go through the whole thing, but, you know, educate yourself, find out um, if you are anywhere near some ecosystem, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial ecosystem, you know, participate. It doesn't mean joining them. It just means finding out, you know, go there, ring them up, look at their websites and try to get as much information on the onset. Because when you start, it becomes quite difficult because usually it's just you or a co-founder at the beginning, right? So preparation is very important and it's key. The next thing is um, when you're looking for funding, um, funding is, is really quite, can be quite tough. But one tip I'd say is that, and especially for women, is that there are quite a lot of funds out there in places you won't realize that are actually act like grants. In those days, grants went to not-for-profits. But people are realizing in order to boost entrepreneurship, right, at the beginning, um, you know, the friends and family, the way in which you get your, 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 your funds just aren't enough, right? Um, so there are grants out there. So look for, for those grants. Some of them are foundations, some of them a lot in terms of government development organizations um, across the EU, even in Africa. So look for those grants and do not be um, shy about applying. People often think, oh, I won't get it. You'll be surprised, right? Okay. Um, so that, there's that. Then when it comes to the main fund funding, so seed or pre-seed or series A as well, things are changing. And there are increasingly more and more funds that look at women. It's not to say that the mainline funds, funds are not there, but it's to say that there are other options now. But it does take a lot of um, a lot of effort. We did um, we did do a um, a webinar which I believe is online on, on funding, and we're delighted to share that. But there are funds out there, but it is quite tough. It's almost like a little needle in a haystack, but it does exist. Find one. Um, Find angel investors that align to your area of business and geography is also important. So those are a couple of, of tips. I think that's superb advice and, you know, agree. Anyone who is listening, do not give up because it can be a really quite intimidating uh, practice. I mean, we've used um, an organisation called Seed Legals when it comes to term sheets and all that kind of business because it can be right. so overwhelming. When I first looked at it, I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, fortunately, I'd had people who had um, worked on, you know, VC sides and things like that. And so I had little of the knowledge when it came to, um, you know, contact and networks and things but it is absolutely it can be a real minefield um a real real minefield and so it's brilliant advice that you say they're finding organizations that are aligned because there are people that do believe in and um, the purpose of the organization or say who are 
specifically interested in investing in female-led uh, businesses or minority-owned businesses, um, you know, there's straight away that connect. So thank you. Thank you for that, Anino. And um, last couple of questions in the lightning round. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer okay. each of the following questions. Um, starting off with the hardest one first, actually. So what would you say is your secret to success, Anino? <laughs> well, I don't know about success, but one thing is, uh, I, I think just um, tenacity, I think, tenacity. And um, never look at those um, things that don't work out, you know, don't worry about them, just keep going. Great advice, tenacity, oh, absolutely. And what about any advice? that you would give to your younger self? I know that you're clearly a, a confident youngster, but if you could go back to that 13-year-old self that you mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast, is there any advice that you would have given to your younger uh, self, and you know, or indeed someone else who is around about the same age thinking about what they may go off and do in their career? Oh, absolutely. I, I think in, in teenage years, I think um, it's really helpful if we engage with others you know both you know female and male in terms of jobs careers and all of that women very often engage in terms of friendships but I think we need to engage in the business side I've, I've, I've noticed that right from the early days you know the boys always start early talking about jobs careers futures and that right and we as women we need to engage right as girls from the very beginning because that's where you need information you build up your you know networks which can last through life. So start engaging in terms of um, what you want to do in the future, careers, jobs, finances, all those things from a very early age. And once you enter into a job as well, engage with networks of women professionally, very important. Superb advice, superb advice. And you mentioned that, it makes me think, you know, if, if, if they were teaching networking at school, wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't remember ever talking about business, certainly in younger years, up until um, coincidentally doing business and management studies at A-level, simply because I thought, well, what else will I do as a dual module on top of psychology and art? But actually, if we were talking about this and normalising it more, even in primary school, wouldn't that be fantastic? And um, lucky kids of yours having um, a, a mum that is just absolutely driving forth change and finally um any heroes or sheroes or, or kind of specific inspirations that you have had in your life and why well the first one is it certainly has to be my mother um as a lawyer as um, as the first in her region to become a lawyer and also um she also drove in terms of policy in in terms of um, anti-female genital mutilation as well which wasn't in our region it was in a different region but you know she drove that so and you know she was a career woman all her life and she put down her pen um, in her law firm over she was over the age of 18 so absolute inspiration but then you know when i look at you know global women all around the world and what they're doing and especially women who are well into the 50s and 60s right who are driving enormous change from christine lagarde to um, the head of the IMF, Amina Mohammed at the um, UN Deputy Secretary General. I mean, you know, when you see these amazing women, right, who are driving immense change, 
they really are role models and we need really need to look at them and say that yes it's perfectly possible to continue um adding value well past you know those years you know sort of trying to you know this sort of media image of um, of leadership being the young person young is good it's very important but as well at some of these jobs we're talking you know, you know serious experience really does move mountains so i think uh, these women are really inspirational to me age diversity indeed and I mean your mother sounds incredible to be doing that work especially around female genital mutilation it is such a, a painful subject even saying the words and so to attack something like that head-on is uh, just to be commended the more light that can be shone on subjects like that um the better so hats off to your mum and yourself thank you so much for joining on this podcast and you know you are such an inspiration and it's uh, it's really been a joy interviewing you because i watch you i listen to you i see you chairing all of these panels just fluidly with ease it's nice to have the opportunity to have you on on the other on the other end of things and um you know what learnings we've had as well from today i hope that you've all enjoyed listening uh, to dr amino uh, as much as i have and if you've missed anything as well don't worry at all because we'll put all the information into the show notes will put all the ways you can contact um, Dr. Nina. You can look into her research. Um, some really great top tips there as well on networking, on leadership, on entrepreneurialism, on funding, um, on technology, on future generations. Um, it's been a really super packed session. So thank you uh, again, Anino. And um, I know we can reach you on LinkedIn, Dr. Anino Amua, and Twitter at Dr. Amua, and also at 100 Women at Davos, even on Clubhouse, and at African Women CEOs. If you're like me, I actually quite like Instagram these days. Um, and, uh, and I tell you some great updates on there as well. Um, if you like being nosy like I do and keeping a tab on, uh, on Anino and her whereabouts, wherever she is in the world, doing something fabulous and looking fabulous at the same time. Uh, my name is Leila McKenzie. You've been listening to Dr. Nino Mua on the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast show. You can check us out on Apple, Spotify, uh, any of your favorite podcast apps, um, and visit www.darglobal.org forward slash podcast.